So, so not only did Jesus fulfill them, and we had a conversation about this before, mm-hmm. the beautiful thing is when you read the New Testament, you find that Jesus did, didn't just fulfill them in principle or in theory. Right. The spring feast, the first four, he fulfilled on the literal day, and he fulfilled them in consecutive order. So we don't just say Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover because he died on the cross. Right. No, we say Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover because he died on the cross on Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread. He rose on first fruits, and then he gave the Holy Spirit on Pentecost or Shavuot. You're tuned into that deity, though. Let the assembly know. We worship God in the flesh. His name is Jesus, you know. Oh, we can open the word. This is the truth we can show. Planting a seed in your brain. Trust to a prayer for the grow. The Son of God is the Most High. When that don't fly, they come at my neck like a bow tie. <laughs> From the throne to the manger, the mystery of God sent Himself as the Savior. Welcome to episode five of That Deity Though, an apologetics podcast focused on the deity of Christ and the Trinity. I am your host, E.C. Holmes, a.k.a. Yes, that's my real name. (laughs) Today, we're going to get into the content pretty quickly. There's a lot to unpack. I want to take some time to uh, uncover a very important topic that will for sure be news to many believers, and I believe it would even be informative for most Christians. I've been looking forward to this episode for a long time because I'll be giving my first interview. I've always been on the other side, so I'm looking forward to leading the discussion and even learning from our guest who i'll be introducing shortly as you know up to this point we spent a fair amount of time on issues we find in jehovah's witness theology i would like to hear from you guys i hope it's been helpful i know many of us have friends and even family members who follow that view so i hope you were emboldened to preach the gospel to them in love however i hope you don't go looking for jeremiah chapter 60 (laughs) because it doesn't exist I made a mistake in my notes while quoting Jeremiah 32, 18, where Yahweh or Jehovah is referred to as mighty God. I mistakenly said chapter 60 and I even had it on the screen um, because it was in my notes. Um, But as you can see here, it's in chapter 32. For those of you who haven't listened to episode four, I responded to the claim that the father is the almighty God. Therefore, the son is not the almighty God. The son is only mighty God. And so I proved through scripture that both the father and the son are referred to as both mighty and almighty, which means Jesus is God and presupposes the plurality within the oneness of God. So if you haven't listened to it, go back and check it out. Also, make sure you follow us on social media to stay up to date on the podcast. Um, If you find it beneficial, interact with us. Go ahead and share it with your friends. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube. If you have an episode request or questions on theology or about merch, please direct them to thatdeitythough at gmail.com, or you can just inbox us as well. I would love to respond to some of those questions on future episodes. Now, before we jump into the main topic and I invite in our guest, I would like to share how I came up with this topic and why it's important. I know and have spoken to a fair amount of people who subscribe to the idea that the black man is the true Jew, or as they would say, 
the black Hebrew Israelite or Hebrew Israelite. This claim is based on a misunderstanding of Deuteronomy 28, and I'm sure at some point in the future, I'll share why the transatlantic slave trade isn't what the prophecy is about. But even if it was, it's irrelevant to today's topic when you weigh the significance of the subject. And really, this is where the rubber meets the road. Even if the black man is the true Jew, what we have to discuss remains true. We have a new covenant, a greater covenant. We have assurance in Christ that is equally for both Jews and Gentile alike. And the sad part is many of my encounters with them, many of them being my friends, at least at some point they were, is an embracing of a tradition and in many cases a cult that cultivates pride, arrogance, a victim mentality, and even hatred. The idea that we must first know who we are before we know who God is. The idea that evangelism starts with telling the black man about his ethnicity or heritage over his need for the grace and the mercy of God because of his sin. But let's face it, if you hear nothing else, hear this. A Jew who hasn't placed their entire faith in their life completely in Christ is no different than a Gentile who fashions idols after their own heart or passes their children through the fire and worship to Moloch. Both of these individuals are not children of God and will stand guilty before Christ the judge. This episode comes from being told all you care about is the gospel. You Christians are lawless and care nothing about the feast days and the traditions that God called us to follow in the Old Testament. You let the white man blind you to the truth instead of being taught by us. You think believing in Jesus is enough. You need to do those commandments. When I go on to agree that all of these things are important, they're all ears until I tell them why they are important. Because there I go again, talking about Jesus and what he has accomplished. Instead of my own ability to make myself worthy of God's acceptance and choosing to not follow a Pharisee. Then I marry the Old and the New Testament and explain how they're one unfolding story of redemption of what God has done to save man, not a ladder that God sent down for us to climb our way to him. One of my favorite quotes from John Calvin is this, quote, Jesus is not a rung on the ladder of our ascent to God. He is the ladder. The situation would surely have been hopeless had the very majesty of God not descended to us since it was not in our power to ascend to him, end quote. Listen, the great, the greater and greatest significance and lens must always be what God has accomplished in Christ. This is where salvation is found. This is where our hope must be placed. This is where fellowship and unity is found beyond anything else that you might find identity in. I see a people who struggle with identity because of an ugly history. And instead of seeking God for that identity, many look into the mirror instead of looking to Christ, the image of the invisible God. And what I want to reveal to you today is the apex of scripture and the essence of all of these things that Christians supposedly ignore. And by God's grace, Christ, the apex, is at the center of Christian theology. And I want to do that by talking with an individual who identifies with many of these things, yet similar to Paul in chapter 3 of Philippians, he would say this, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. <laughs> Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He is Lord, so we reign Open up the word, get with it The eternal God, he is infinite He put on some flesh and then lived in it The hypostatic union, we get it Christology, my apology, but no apology Best get with it, well then the prodigy But he calm the seas, he quiet storms Yes, he did it, uh, he's preeminent Taught fishermen to fish from men Turn grimy dudes to different men It's by his life we live for him And through his life we get to him Validated by lifting him And he would do the same for everyone To whom he was sent Blazing it, fanning the flame it's no taming it, grabbing his word and aiming it I don't care if you bang with it Repping the blood, no gang with it Add to it and you're changing it Paul said it's anathema Even if an angel came with it Now let's get into the main topic Out of the darkness uh, Now that title really comes from two things um, One, when we have a theological sort of an imbalance um, It's easy to place an emphasis on man and his ability, right? Where we kind of sort of, you know, leave God in the shadows Really, when we think about it, we're leaving him in our shadows, right? We see this work itself out in many ways, and it's not just from the black Hebrew Israelite perspective. It's also when we think about Jehovah's Witnesses, um, Mormons do the same thing, even within Roman Catholicism, believe it or not, even within Judaism and Christianity. So clearly, none of us are exempt from the possibility of making this mistake, because on some level, we probably all have done it, <laughs> right, in some point of our life. So one this is sort of a response to man leaving God in the shadows, for lack of better words. And so I want to move man out of the way and kind of bring God out of the darkness, so to speak. And second, this speaks to one of the many functions of the New Testament. Think about it. As, as we walk through the Old Testament, it's like walking down the street and seeing a shadow. But you don't necessarily know where that shadow is comes from or what it's been formed from um you haven't seen the person that the shadow represents you might even hear the footsteps or the voice of the person yet in that moment the only visible reference you have is their shadow now think about as you walk through the new testament right the substance is finally revealed for out of the shadows comes the person you now have a face to the voice and the footsteps that you've been hearing all along right you now have the greater light from which the shadows was formed and so out of the darkness, God is revealed as the Old Testament crescendos in the person of Christ. And so I've asked a special guest to join me for this topic, someone that I think can not only add a great theological background, but also an experiential perspective on the subject. You might know him from his lamp mode days. <laughs> you might know him as the co-host from the first season of Cross Examine. If you follow him on Facebook, he might have ruffled your political feathers. <laughs> um, he's the co-host of Politics and Religion, along with Tish, a.k.a. Clarity Speaks. If you like lyrical theology, he has those bars. Much of his stuff that I've come across is apologetic based so if you listen to origins you know that he can break down like lyrically the intelligent design behind creation i'm talking about none other than anthony ray aka tony of hazakim thanks for joining me bro thank you brother for having me very honored yeah, man, no here. problem i really appreciate it Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I tried. I tried doing my best uh, sway in the morning style <laughs> introduction. <laughs> well, I appreciate yeah, it, man. Bro. So if you don't. Yeah, man. If you don't mind, go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah, this is Tony from Hazakim. Um, like, like the brother said, uh, you know, 
formerly with Lamp Mode, uh, now with Wrath and Grace. Um, been a little quiet for a while, man, just kind of realigning some things. And, and uh, but, but God is good, and I'm just honored to, to be with y'all and to be sharing on God's Word and to be fellowshipping with my brother. Um, so let's go, man. I'm, I'm very excited. I love this topic. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. What you been up to? Um, you know, man, uh, after, you know, I was, after being in music full time for a while and, and things got, you know, a little test, uh, I would say a little testy after, after, uh, I did the last couple of years, I, I've, uh, you know, I got a, a job with a really good company and, and, um, still musically involved, but I've kind of, kind of had to re, uh, readjust some things, man, and just take a break. Um, but I uh, still love music, still having ideas constantly coming to me, you know, for new stuff. And, and we'll see what the Lord, what the Lord's will is. I know right now with this Corona thing, that's kind of at the forefront and the uncertainty uh, regarding, you know, what the next steps will be, but we know God's in control. So um, that's about it, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the family's doing good and God is gracious to me, man. He's been good. You know, that's dope, bro. That's good to hear, man. Um, I, I have, I have a similar uh, experience too, you know, as far as doing music and then having kids and then, you know, you, you have a career and all these other things kind of uh, take away the, the time that you have maybe to pour into ministry or music or, you know, different things that you might have been involved with in the past. Yeah. Um, but somehow we always find our way back, um, even if it's just for a moment, you know, we, we really can't get away from it. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. brother. So um, what I want to do is um, I have two rounds of questions. Um, the first set of questions is going to be more to provide a background <clears throat> just to give a little bit of uh, info or maybe a little bit of an overview. Then in the second round of questions, what we'll do is um, we'll zoom into the details a little bit more. Okay. At the same time, of course, we're not going to cover everything <laughs> um, yeah. because I hope this episode actually piques the interest of the listeners. Right. And to kind of give them a, de a desire for them to dig into this further themselves. Yeah. All right. Is that cool? Absolutely, bro. All right. And so the last segment, um, I actually spoke a little bit about the black Hebrew Israelites and um, how they pretty much minimize Christ in the gospel. Have you had any contact with them? And if so, what was that like? What's your assessment of their views? Well, you know, the first time I, I had interaction with them was, um, wow, man, it was like a long time ago when I was first introduced to, to them. I was doing street ministry, actually. Um, Right around the time I was in college or a little bit after I dropped out of college, um, back in like, I want to say like in 2001 or something about, like something around there, 2000, 2001, um, I was in Columbus, Ohio actually at the time. And um, they were, there was a, a college event and I saw these guys on the street, you know, the street corner yelling and, and harassing, kind of being rude and harassing people. Yeah, and I sat and listened to them, and, and they were, you know, they were telling me that they were the, the original Hebrew, you know, the original Hebrews, and that, you know, um, you know, and, and, and their Hebrew, uh, being familiar with Hebrew a little bit, they, their Hebrew, I remember, right. sounded really funky to me at the time, because they were, they were using names and words. That, <laughs> yeah, I later found out it's called Lashwan Kadash, it's their, their own version of Hebrew. Um, right. But uh, but yeah. So so from there, I, so I remember debating them a little bit. I was with a friend, and we were again we were passing out tracks doing street evangelism at the time. So I talked to them then. Didn't think too much of it. And then many years later, um, I ran into a few of them online, and I, I found it to be a really growing movement, um, a burgeoning mm -hmm. movement. And um, I ended up getting linked up with an old friend of mine from Columbus named Vocab Malone, 
that I kind of grew up with, and he he's okay. really at the forefront right now of that of um, of that you know of out reaching out and and trying to uh, correct some of the false doctrines in, in the black right. people's movement. So I, I reconnected with him, became a, a, a member of, of Shield Squad, and had some interaction with some guys from Sakari and some other places. But but uh, yeah, man, I mean, I'm I'm vaguely familiar. I, I guess you could say a little more than vaguely. I'm I'm familiar with the origins of the modern sort of manifestation of the Hebrew Israelite movement, the One West, you know, camp. I'm, I'm familiar with with what they believe and, and, and their origin story. And um, yeah, I would say one of the things that struck struck me the most in finding out about them is you can tell that most of them, or many of them, I would say at least, um, don't wouldn't probably wouldn't be very interested in scripture or in Torah or in the God of the Bible if it wasn't about them. <laughs> like a lot of the focus hmm. does seem to be man-centered. And if they were right. to find out incontrovertible proof tomorrow, that they were not Israelites, I think the majority of them would abandon scripture altogether um, because it doesn't seem to really be about Christ, about Messiah or in God for that matter, who we know, you know, Messiah is divine, but they would deny that most of them. Um, but it doesn't seem to be about God or Messiah for them. I think it seems to be about national identity and it sort of affirms, mm -hmm. it's more about affirming their personal identity than it is about glorifying God. That's, that's kind of been my impression of them. Right. Yeah, that, that's I agree, man. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know that you had connections with vocab. Um, was he from, is he from Ohio also? Yeah, he's originally from Columbus. It's funny. We were in a rap group together way back in the day with a guy named John Rubin. Wow. He, yeah, John Rubin later, he got signed to go to records and worked with Toby Mack and those guys. But so it was mm -hmm. uh, John Rubin had a crew called the Showcase MC. It's really kind of funny name, but but vocab and my, myself were a part of that. Um, I was a part of it very wow. briefly before breaking away. And yeah, so it was just like many years later when I caught up with vocab and I see, saw him on YouTube, just to see an old friend, right? Still serving the Lord, still seeking God mm -hmm. uh, from Columbus and, when I had known so many. And on who, a big level too. Yeah, on a big level, doing a lot of good ministry. And, and when I, I, so many of the friends I knew, you know, just, just kind of walked away. It was really encouraging to, to reconnect and to see what God's doing in his life. Yeah, man, that's dope. You're going to have to send me some stuff that you might have. I'm not sure if you have any of those interactions recorded um, from when you got into uh, having those conversations with them. That'd be cool to kind of yeah. oh, dig into some. There's some stuff, yeah. All right. Yeah, man, so um, you don't refer to yourself as a Hebrew Israelite. I'm sure when you had those conversations with those guys, you were like, uh, I'm not so sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're, yeah. you're a Messianic Jew, right? So, um. Can you go ahead and explain to the listeners what a Messianic Jew is? And um, as you explain that, what are some of the core beliefs um, from that tradition as far as uh, in respect to who Jesus is um, and how man is made right with God? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so 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 just to, in terms of ethnically speaking, I am multi multi ethnic. I don't use the term race because it's a Darwinistic term. And I think it's, it's that word can be misconstrued. Um, I believe scripture teaches that we all come from one blood. Right. And that we all come from a common from common ancestors, Adam and Eve, and then Noah and his three sons and their wives. Um, so, but I am multi-ethnic, and that 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 heritage does include Jewish roots. It's something I've known since I was a very small child. It wasn't something you know that we discovered or, or tried to discover. It was just, it's just a part of growing up. I knew that you know I had uh, Jewish ancestry and something my father was raised with um, with knowing, but. Um, so, but yeah, so Messianic Jews, 
uh, are basically uh, Jewish people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Messiah of Israel. And the question may be, and I've gotten this question, well, why not just call yourself Christians, right? Why, why, need, why would you need something separate? And in terms of faith and belief, which I'll expound upon in a minute, there really isn't a difference. But the reason Jewish believers in Jesus identify as Jewish believers in Jesus is because it's an important statement that needs to be made. Not since the time of Jesus' disciples have we had a viable community, right? A viable community of self-identified Jews like Peter, James, John, Paul, right? Who mm-hmm. right. proclaim that he is the Messiah of Israel. Um, so it's, it's not just a statement to the church in a sense that, hey, your, your brother, right? Like the prodigal is, has come home, <laughs> you know, and is co- in the process of coming home. It's a powerful statement theologically, but it's also a statement to the Jewish world, the Jewish world, to, to let them know that there are Jews who believe and know that Jesus is the Messiah. And our job, our focus is to bring that message of redemption to the Jewish communities of, Amer- of America yeah. and the world, to see the Jewish people. It's interesting, the gospel went from Jerusalem all over the world, right? The disciples went from Israel to the world. They, they spread the gospel around the world. But now in 2020, all these years later, the least, the the small, the, like the, the people who receive the least amount of outreach, gospel outreach. You know, we take the gospel to Muslim countries, we take the gospel to Asian countries, various African countries, European countries. It's going all over the world. But the group of people who are neglected when it comes to the gospel, by and large, are the Jewish people. And part of that is intimidation. People don't know how to approach it. You know, they don't know what to say. They assume that every Jewish person is a biblical scholar in Hebrew and. You know, there, there, there's maybe nerves, but but in terms of outreach, right. the Jewish a, lot, a community, lot of them don't know about. A lot of them haven't read uh, Isaiah 53 either, right? Isn't that eye-opening to a lot of Jews? Oh man, I mean, here like a Christian approached them with that chapter. Absolutely, and I would encourage if you if you have a Jewish friend that you build a relationship with and or a family member and and just print out Isaiah 53 and omit the references, the numbers, the chapters, the name, and just tell them to read it. And say, hey, I I got this piece of literature. I want you to read it. And I want you to tell me, who do you think this is talking about? Right. Who do you think this speaks of? And where do you think it's from? I've done this. And invariably, it's always the same answer from from any Jew that reads it. This is talking about Jesus. And what is this? The New Testament? And then you, you shock them with, no, it's from it's from the Tanakh. It's from the prophet Isaiah, the Jewish prophet Isaiah. He's prophesying about the a suffering servant, a Messiah who would whose death would save israel from their sins so right right um yeah but 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 yeah so 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 because the jewish people have not been uh touched with the gospel over the past two thousand years it's it's important i think to have a self-identified jews right ethnic jews who who believe in the gospel and who take it to their people and proclaim like paul and all the rest peter like they did to the to their own jewish people that jesus is the messiah the messiah has come and at this stage in history i think the message needs to also be and he's returning again repent and believe right. the gospel absolutely so um so, so but yeah but we believe jesus is the messiah that was prophesied in the scriptures we believe he died for the sins of the world we believe uh he is god in the flesh he's the word of god the word made flesh um, that he shares in, in, in the nature of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. We believe in the triune God of Scripture. These are all biblical Amen. concepts. They weren't created at the Council of Nicaea. They weren't created, they didn't, you know, Paul didn't imagine a divine Messiah. These things, these concepts go back to the Old Testament, you know, promises of a, of a son who would, 
carry the government on their shoulders, whose government would be eternal, who would be called Mighty God and Wonderful, you know, Counselor, uh, Prince of Peace, Father of Eternity. I mean, these these concepts are very a very Jewish concepts. They go back to the Old Testament. So, so yeah, that, uh, and we believe the only way to be saved is by putting your faith and your trust in the Messiah and His atoning death. Um, it's not enough to yeah, say, yeah. "Oh, I'm sorry, I won't do it again." Someone has to pay for what was broken, you know. Um, and the Messiah is the only one qualified to pay for it. So, absolutely, yeah. We're going to get into some of that in a little bit. Um, and so, I mean, I guess that kind of give, gives us a little bit of background as far as you know how you embrace the tradition. You more so grew up, you know, in it, and it's a part of your roots. So, I mean, what was it like growing up that might have been different from like the average, you know, Christian experience? Yeah, so so my parents, um, my my mother really was was drawn uh, and kind of drew my father because my father wasn't really involved in that part of his in that part of his ancestry um, per se. He was kind of passive. My mother would always say, "You know, aren't you interested in your Jewish roots and you know and, and like learning and, and, and connecting with that?" So my mother was really the one who connected us to a local congregation. But before that, they had become, my mother got saved in the set, like mid seventies and my dad kind of rededicated his life to the Lord around the same time. So, uh, we were raised in a believing home, but it was, I was, it was, it was, I was, I was probably 12 or so, uh, when I, when, when we started going to the Messianic congregation. And, and so like one of the differences is like a lot of the, the singing, the songs may be partially in Hebrew, the liturgy may be in Hebrew, um, certain Hebrew phrases will be thrown around. And, and the congregations, the Messianic congregations are usually not not completely Jewish in terms of the membership. There's, you know, it's like a 50-50 split of, of Jewish people. Mm. Uh, many of them are not Jewish, but married to a Jewish person. And some of them are just believers who have a heart for Israel, who want to see the Jewish people come to faith in their Messiah, or who want to learn more about their faith, you know, about the, the roots of their faith and how certain things connect, which I think when you're reading a Jewish book or, or from coming from any college or, or culture, rather, <laughs> any culture, it's always good to know and understand aspects of that culture. It helps you understand the book right. a little better. You know what I mean? So like you're reading the Old Testament, New Testament written by primarily by Jews. Um, and it's mm -hmm. good to know, like, what does this mean? What is the Passover? What is that? You know, so, um, but yeah, so, so I, I do caution people though, when you get involved in a Messianic congregation, a lot of non-Jewish believers are so enamored by the beauty of the culture and things start to click and it just, they're overwhelmed. and. The, 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 the risk is to become a worshiper of Jewishness and to lose faith or lose focus on Jesus and make it about the culture and make it about this experience more so than, I mean, the only focus, the only worship and praise and adoration, our focus should be on the Messiah and on, you know, on God. Right. And, and I've seen people get involved in the Messianic movement. They become uh, eventually part of the Hebrew roots and, you know, and, 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 some of them, you know, have even kind of drifted into Hebrew Israelism because they're looking for more of that and they want to feel like they're directly a part of it, a part of it or that, it, that they, you know what I'm saying? They don't want to feel like a second class citizen. And the thing mm -hmm. is, there are no second class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Um, Paul, right. Paul says that the Gentiles who by faith, uh, the Gentiles who come by faith in the son of God are grafted into the olive tree and that those who... Right believe not right are cut off from the olive tree so if you have been grafted in that heritage is yours it doesn't matter if you're european african asian middle east or it doesn't matter where you're from 
by mm-hmm. faith in the Messiah, that is your heritage. You know what I mean? That is your, I mean, you are nourished from the sap of the olive tree. And so there's right. no need, whether it's, whether you don't have a Jewish ancestor or a Hebrew ancestor, however you want to put it or not, that doesn't matter. And that won't save you in the end. You can be, you can be, I mean, you could be Moses's grandchild, right? But if you don't, you know, like if, if, if you are not in right standing with God, you are eternally lost. And you could be an Egyptian or a Greek who has faith in the Messiah mm-hmm. and you are saved and you are a child of God. So there are risks. Again, coming in from the outside, I've seen a lot of church people lose focus on what it's all about, and they begin to focus more on the culture. But I will say that those risks do not negate the beauty and importance of this movement. And I think also the existence of this movement is telling in the to- about the times we are in. And this is a whole other topic. I don't want to divert, but just in a nutshell, I believe, and I think scripture is quite clear, anyone who reads it without bias, that at the end of days, God would draw his people first back to the land, right? Ezekiel 36. And then after he draws them back to the land, he would purify them and cleanse them. And that, that all Israel or a generation, a future generation after much tribulation, Hosea uh, chapter 5, I want to say verse 14 through to uh, Hosea 6, 2, that a future generation of Israel will be saved. Um, Zechariah uh uh, Twelve ten that uh, they will look upon me whom they pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. Uh, Matthew, what is it, the end of Matthew twenty three, where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and says, "You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." That means there is going to be a generation of Jewish people who say, communally and corporately, to the Messiah, "We missed you the first time. We repent of our unbelief. You know, we believe that you're the Messiah. Come and save us." And at that point. I believe the Messiah will, will return. According to scripture, his coming is contingent upon the Jewish people recognizing his his Messiahship. So I think the fact that we're seeing this burgeoning movement of, of so many Jews coming to faith. I mean, when you go to Israel, every Israeli knows a believer in Jesus in their family or a close friend or a roommate. And in nearly every city, there's multiple Messianic Jewish ministries that are doing outreach. And that was unheard of just 15 years ago or 10 years ago. I mean, like the numbers are are unheard of, so I think it, it means it says a lot that we are closer to that's the. encouraging the of the too. Lord. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, that's encouraging too, man. And and these traditions, like you said, a lot of people people can become enamored with them, um, and they can begin to to either worship them or use these traditions to sort of um, build up themselves, and uh, instead of seeing it as a lens to kind of glory in what God has done. Exactly. Um, I guess this kind of brings us into my last question of this first round of questions when, when you consider these old covenant or hebraic traditions would you say that there's a common thread or focus um in, in other words are, are these customs sort of random practices or is there an overarching theme in view now i don't want you to go so far into that answer um but just to kind of give me a simple answer is, is there is, are these random practices or is there a, a, a overarching theme in view yeah there's definitely uh there's definitely an overarching theme in view. Um, so, so th- these these feasts, these 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 holidays that God gave Israel in Scripture, they're called Moedim, right? Um, and they're also called Mikra, Mikraim, which means an appointed time. So these were basically based on God's calendar that He was giving Israel. He was marking them out as special times to meet with Him appointed times to 
to, you know, convocation, times to consecrate yourself and to carve out this moment in, in, in time and space to meet with God. Um, and the, I mean, it's, it's, uh, and the overall theme is about God reconnecting with humanity, right? That broke that breach that exists between God and man, that chasm because of sin, these feasts have the goal of God reconnecting with his creation, with, with the crown of his creation, humanity, and bridging that gap. And I think they were all pointing to a redemptive story, that they were all about redemption and, and reunification, you know, and reunion between God and man. Yeah, I agree. I take the, uh, I have the redemptive historical view yeah. Um, in mind as I'm reading through uh, the Bible, um, I believe that um, it's not random. You know, um, everything fits together, and uh, we're going to see that soon. Um, yeah, there, there was a book that I read back in 2015, man, and uh, it really opened my eyes to this connection between the two testaments, the old and the new. Yeah. Um, it, it really made me realize that, you know, as new believers, um, many times people have a flawed view of the Godhead. I know I did. Um, because we have recognized the Father, Son, and Spirit, right, as distinct and separate from one another in person. Um, but really, I think a lot of us confuse their roles um, with their worth or their glory because they have mm-hmm. a different role. One is more worthy or glorious, right, than the other. <laughs> I don't want to really get into that because um, this is a discussion for a future episode, Lord willing. Um, but there's this idea, right, that the Father is the greatest, right? Followed by the Son, and then the Spirit is somewhere in the background. <laughs> and, uh, that makes sense because a lot of people reduce the Spirit to just simply some force or some type of power that we receive just to do things. Yeah. Um, they don't see the Spirit as an actual person like the Father and the Son are, right? And so um, there's this default view that the Bible is all about the Father, right? And, and mm-hmm. However, when you look at the Old Testament and you read it, we find something very different. Um, and if you miss it, as you read through the Old Testament, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus calls us to take a second look at the Old Testament. <laughs> um, and so before we get into uh, the second round of questions, if you don't mind, I want to read from a passage um, in Luke chapter 24 to kind of set up this next series of questions. <clears throat> and so this is Jesus on the road to Emmaus at verse 13. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but bear with me. Um, it says uh, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. (laughs) And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, of, of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they have even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now notice in verse 27, it says he interpreted to them in all the scriptures <laughs> the things concerning himself. Now, we know Jesus is referring to the Hebrew scripture. They didn't have the New Testament at that time. They had um, the, the Greek Septuagint, most likely. Right. And so um, I didn't realize this until I read this book by Todd Frail um, called Jesus Unmasked. I'm not sure if you ever heard it, <laughs> but it's titled Jesus Unmasked. The truth will shock you. And he did for me, Todd Frell, what he did for me is what Jesus did for these two who were on the road to Emmaus, right? And as the book said, I was shocked. I was shocked about how much of the Bible actually points to Jesus, right? <laughs> and maybe for the first time, I realized that Jesus was just as glorious as the Father. And because after reading this, this book, it actually threw me into the scriptures for the first time as far as like reading the whole Bible from the beginning to the end um, for myself. Before this, I never did. You know, I had the desire to and I would start off and get to like numbers or um you know leviticus <laughs> you know how it can be reading through some of those books yeah, yeah. um but after reading this man i'm like hold on you're telling me that all there's a ton of things in the old testament that's specifically about jesus <laughs> that i've been blind to this whole time mm -hmm. um and so what i want to do is shift to another set of questions um and if you will i would like you to help me do what todd frell did for me to un unmatch jesus right from the old testament to sort of pull jesus out of the out of the shadows right as the substance of these things and even the substance of scripture itself you okay with that absolutely bro. yeah so what i'm gonna do is i'm just gonna toss you a question <laughs> and um what i would like you to do is to kind of give us the jewish background and then uncover its significance through the lens of the new covenant all right okay all right. So um, Israel, right. They were enslaved to Egypt um, and God frees them. They have no land. They have no food or water. Right. Yet God miraculously provides for them as they're wandering in the wilderness. Now, what did God provide for them? Um, and what do we learn about God's heart towards the lost? Right. They who were very, very much like Israel, even the lost today, how we grumble um, against the hand that feeds us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think Israel is in scripture a microcosm of the human condition, you know? Mm. And and I think that's one of the things people have a tro have trouble seeing. Like, you find all these really harsh words in the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, and even the, the, the words of Jesus. And it's actually been used by Jew haters, anti-Semites, you know, um, to, to, to sort of validate their feelings about the Jews. But the fact of the matter is, uh, it had God chosen Britain or Nigeria or, you know, China or the Polynesian islands, it would have been no different, right? Um, mm. In Israel, all of the fallenness, all of the stubbornness, all of the hard-headedness and the foolishness of man is seen. So God's dealing with a nation, like you said, he leads them out of, out of Egypt, right, into freedom through the blood of the lamb on Passover. And they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're not happy. They want to go back to Egypt. And that is the human condition, man. So um, absolutely, yeah. And, and through that, and uh, throughout the, the, the whole story of, of, of Israel, it's this constant story of a faithful husband and a disloyal, untrustworthy spouse, essentially. <laughs> you know, like we see in Hosea. Um, Israel right. is unfaithful, but God is faithful. Right. And, and as they're as they're wondering, right, um, like I said, they don't have anything to eat, right? They, they don't own anything. You know, they pretty much lose everything. But God provides for them, right? And, yeah. uh, so so what, what, what was it that God sent down for them to be able to feast on and to, to preserve them as they yeah. wonder? Manna. 
yeah manna from um is there any significance behind the manna oh absolutely as I think far as from like the jewish perspective that that a christian might not know um there are some interesting rabbinic commentary and and i don't place a lot of weight sometimes on some of the rabbinic commentary i, I do think it preserves some interesting ancient jewish views on 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 different things um and and some of it actually is quite true a lot of it's quite true because those men weren't all stupid they were like wise, very some very wise scholars and and, and um but but yeah so there's different commentary on what the manna consisted of or what it like looked like there's different you know uh theories about that in rabbinic literature but um i think on the, on the more basic level it, it points to god's sustenance you know the sustenance of god and 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 the fact that it came down from heaven right it was like food sent to to a man almost through a breach an interdimensional breach it, it was you know it was physical but it was also from heaven which is right. which is and and that to me without without getting too too ahead of myself is a perfect picture of the messiah you know who pre-existed yeah. in heaven but breaches our 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 realm our reality and and become a man and and he even makes allusion to that when he calls himself you know the bread of life the bread from heaven um that he's clearly making allusion to the manna that he is the that he is the ultimate manna from heaven right yeah and it, it's almost like you know god could have provided for them this bread um or anything else you know in in a different way you know did it yeah. it seems a little over the top right <laughs> like yeah. god is flexing right like you're just going to send this bread down from heaven like why couldn't it just you know appear in the morning somewhere or just give yeah. us the resources to be able to you know make this bread ourselves but he sends it down yeah. um you know like you alluded to already this gives us a better understanding of why jesus calls himself the bread of life right yeah um and, and he says this in john chapter 6 and um i think it would have been polarizing right <laughs> these words right um the jews actually hearing jesus refer to himself as the bread i mean then to go ahead and go so far as to compare himself to the manna that their fathers ate yeah. um but then the punchline is said and they died <laughs> Yeah. Right. And so I'm going to just give the listeners a little bit of context as far as what I mean in John chapter six. Um, if you really want to get all of it, um, I would say go back towards the ending of that last section in chapter five. Um, and chapter six is a long uh, section right there. Um, so I'm just going to start at verse forty nine. Okay. And it says, and your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Yeah. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Jesus is referring to himself. Right. This yeah. is the bread that comes down from heaven. So that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The contrast being the manna where you, you could eat it and still die. Right. Yeah. Um, and so if anyone eats of this bread himself, he will live and never die. Right. He will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Right. And so no wonder why they charged him with blasphemy. Right. This is yeah. one of the many bold statements that Jesus makes. Maybe one of the boldest statements that someone can make to to claim to come from God. Right. That you were with God yeah. and he sent you down. And then not to mention, Jesus is pointing to himself. Right. As the source of eternal life, not pointing to the father. Right. Yeah. Um, so so how would hearing these words be interpreted by a Jew? You know, like how, how would that make you feel growing up as a Jew? Um, and then hearing Jesus say these words. Oh, yeah. Um, I think for the Jews of his time, I think they knew exactly what, what he was alluding to. Um, he was, he was, yeah, he was, he was saying he was not only God's gift, but that he came down from heaven. 
that he pre-existed his earthly existence. You know what I mean? And um, and to say that you're the bread of life, I mean, there's statements in the Old Testament where God, speaking to Israel, talks about how he's the sustainer, the provider. I mean, one of his one of his names is is God our provider. You know what I mean? In the right. Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the, I mean, that's one of his actual titles. So for that, that, that sustenance comes from him. So for Jesus to put himself on par with manna from heaven in that sense, and to say that that I am the way to life, like I am the the bread of life, um, would have been considered blasphemous. It would have been outrageous. I mean, you know, even even in our culture, for someone to say such a thing would be outrageous. You know. Um, mm -hmm. And the kickback, yeah. and the kickback will be, what do you think you are, God's gift to man? Yeah, um, yeah. And then Jesus could actually say yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the the bread that God has given through the new covenant is Christ. Um, you know, which gives us eternal life. Right. Yeah. It's nourishment for the soul, not just not just the body. And so, um, while there's significance in the Old Testament, and you know, it's, it's rooted historically in the Old Testament, um, the fulfillment, the greater fulfillment of it, is in Christ. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there was also another situation um, as they're wandering through the wilderness uh, that took place um, where there were these uh, venomous snakes, right, that ended up killing off some of the people. <laughs> um, yeah. why, why did that happen? Um, and, and what did God do to sort of remedy that situation? Yeah, um, the uh, you're talking about the, the serpent, the serpent and then the serpent on the pole. Right. right yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the people and, and honestly, man, the uh, the the story the story of the brazen serpent that's a really kind of important story in Judaism. Um, okay. Or the the bronze serpent, as it's called, that's a really important story. And yeah, the people. I mean, really, when you look at Israel's wanderings in the desert, there wasn't a time in their entire forty years where it seems like they had it together. It's like one story after another. They were constantly. I mean, from the time that they left, right, and then God performs all those miracles. Moses goes up on the mountain, receives the commandments. I mean, when he comes down after meeting with God, and God had just shown Himself to be powerful with with lightning and fire from heaven, you know, on the mountain and, and clouds of smoke. Um, they were trembling in fear at one moment. And then just days later, they're worshiping a, an idol, a, a golden calf. And, and, right. um, and this, this kind of behavior persisted and, and, uh, maybe not the golden calf, but other, you know, other kinds of rebellion against God, constant, um, uh, complaining and murmuring. And, there was a plague of serpents, or basically uh, where, where they had been bitten by a poisonous serpent. And interestingly, uh, and it was really judgment from God, but interestingly, God commanded Moses to fashion a bronze uh, serpent and put it on a pole, and whoever looked at that serpent would be healed. And that's really a strange, that's really almost like, so the, the object of your curse becomes the, you know, the symbol of a curse becomes a blessing that brings healing you know this this curse right. not, not to mention not to mention that god is having them look to something else um, yeah. for healing that's right um, that's not, right. Just, not just to him of course he provided the healing through the bronze serpent but he's pointing them look look at that right yeah. <laughs> hold this up and have them look to it for healing yeah yeah so that's unique and, and the fact that again it's 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 something that's considered a curse you know um the very thing that bit you this cursed thing now you look upon an image of it right uh and and you're healed through faith 
Um, and and yeah, I, I see that as as you know, we know that that the Messiah, in a sense, became accursed when he took on the sins of the world and hung on a tree. That the right. curse of sin was put upon him. I mean, who would think to look upon a man, a bloody man, hanging on a on a tree on a cross, would bring mm-hmm. healing? Um, it sounds it became sin for us. Yeah, it became. We look sin. at we look at the cross. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, really, man, the entire Old Testament is, is pointing ahead to a, a to a greater reality. It was, and it's interesting. One of the uh, Hebrew meanings of the word mikra, um, and and uh, you know, is is actually a rehearsal. That it's the same meaning for rehearsal. So when God gave even the feasts of Israel, they were rehearsals. They were looking forward to a greater fulfillment. They were dress rehearsals. So all of these stories in the Old Testament, man, are pointing. They're rehearsals for a greater, for a greater story, a greater fulfillment. And, and they were looking right. forward to to Jesus. I mean, yeah, it's it is uh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I like that uh, that term, a rehearsal. Um, I definitely agree. Um, you know, and it's really interesting also because there's a lot of baggage um, <laughs> that comes from the figure of a serpent, right? Yeah. Um, and then, so Jesus makes a reference back to this moment in Israel's history, um, but he actually points to himself as the bronze serpent in a sense. Um, because uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to read another passage. Um, but in chapter 12 of John, also the same book, um, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Question mark. Father, save me from this hour. Um, the reason why I read it like that. Is because a lot of times you'll have people point to the idea or not the idea, but the reality that in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, Jesus is praying to the Father, right? That, you know, if the cup will pass, um, you know, and then they'll kind of point to that to show like, you know, Jesus didn't even really want to do it. Um, but he ended up going through with it because his dad made him do it. Yeah. Um, that that like he didn't know he maybe maybe changed his mind, was having second thoughts. Right. <laughs> yeah. But he seems pretty confident right here. Um, and it says now. Is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then the voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the the ruler of this world be cast out, that serpent, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? They understood he was talking about his death, just asking Mm -hmm. that question, right? Um, and then the last question in that verse is, who is this son of man? <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you the same question, bro. Um, who, who is this son of man? And what's the difference between the bronze serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness and Jesus being lifted up on the cross? Yeah, well, uh, so the son of man, that's an interesting. We actually had an album called Son of Man, Ben Adam, Hebrew. Uh, literally means. Fire. Yeah. Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you, man. Uh, yeah, man. Ben Adam literally means human. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's another way of saying human in Hebrew or a person, but it's a son of Adam, Ben Adam, um, son of man. And the, 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 the first real vision of this, we get the first peak sneak peek into the son of man comes from the book of Daniel, right? Where Daniel receives, has a vision of one, like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. 
given great authority. And this this man is is is, is basically seated with God in heaven. He receives worship and glory and honor from all the nations. And so that's kind of a sneak peek God was giving us through the prophet of one to come, who would be a man, but also divine. He would share God's nature, right? Hmm. Um, yeah, and that's that's good. Good. And Jesus constantly referred to himself as the son of man, making himself synonymous with the one that Daniel saw in the vision. And the, the main right. difference, man, is that, yeah, if you looked upon the serpent in the wilderness, you would die again. And it, it didn't have the power to save you or to cleanse you from your sins, right? But the son of man, his death, on the cross, right? His obedience unto death um, has the ability to atone for sin, to cleanse you and to give you everlasting life. It's not just a momentary, like a, a fix for a momentary problem. It's an eternal solution that God has made available right. to us. Um, but the imagery yeah. of, of the serpent and the imagery of and then Jesus hanging on the cross, it's clearly linked. It's a clearly uh, linked uh, situation, but but yeah, I mean, it's infinitely greater what what Jesus did. And right. The power of, of the Son hanging for our sins, dying and giving His lifeblood, so that we could be saved, is infinitely greater than the brazen serpent. Right. Absolutely, man. Yeah, and there's a lot more. You know, a lot more of those connections. You know, things that someone might just read over. You know, and think there's no real significance beyond. Um, just the historical uh, situation that, you know, went down, um, you know, and also there were other things, too, like festivals. Right. There's there's seven festivals that you celebrate throughout the year. Do you celebrate each festival or? or I, no? I, uh, there's some that I, that I kind of observe uh, with greater sort of uh, what is the word intentionality than mm -hmm. than than others. Um, but, yeah, I do. I do. I definitely I definitely do. I um I think it, I think they're beautiful, and and every during the spring feast, the spring festivals, the spring holidays, and the fall holidays, I get I get a feeling, man. It's kind of hard to pinpoint, but it's a really special moment. Um, it's funny because Passover begins just next week, and this Corona thing is kind of messing it up. But usually, my parents and my siblings and our families, we all get together and we have Passover. We have a seder, probably the tastiest Passover meal I think <laughs> I've ever had. Um, all of our respective <laughs> is wives. That a, is that what a seder is? A meal? Yeah. So a seder is a Passover meal. Yeah, it's, it's a Passover meal. Okay. Um, and and there's certain elements that are so so. There's the seder that consists of certain elements that must be a part of it. But then also the meal that you eat in between is just you know family family recipes. You know, certain foods are popular to have during that time. But but I I love I love 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 and I you know um my family you know I don't know how people feel about this but. Uh, we do Thanksgiving. Um, I'm not a big Easter person. Um, I think there's a biblical alternative to that. But but we'll do Christmas kind of to some degree as well. Like I'm not I'm not one of those people who thinks like everything is evil unless it's you know Jewish or unless it's biblical. I know that every culture creates its its um, own traditions. You know what I'm saying? And some of them are some of those traditions can be counter to scripture, and those should be should be you know left to the side. Some of them are right. pro scripture and some of them are just kind of neutral you know what i mean like the irish right on saint patrick's day wearing green that's not really offending god so there are aspects of christmas right. and even easter i think that are great and god glorifying and i will say that god has used even those holidays in the world to reach people uh with the gospel you know what i'm saying so um but 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 my favorite holidays the ones that i really observe the ones that i feel the most about are like are the biblical feasts i love passover it's probably 
my favorite holiday is Passover. I love that holiday. And then I would say after, uh, so I observe them, but, but I think Passover, I especially observe. And also the Feast of Trumpets it is amazing. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have what I wanted to get into was um, maybe the difference between Yom Kippur, um, the Day of Atonement and the Passover. Um, like I mentioned before, we actually start recording. Um, you know, they, there's a lot of overlap there for me. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, if you don't mind, uh, what's the what's the significance of of those festivals, and um, how how should we, you know, after understanding the significance from the Jewish, you know, perspective, um, what's the greater significance, you know, as we view it through the new covenant? Yeah. So I would say. I think also, yeah, and I'll get to this, like you said, to answer the second part of your question through the new covenant. I think the fulfillment of them is different. Um, Passover was already fulfilled in Christ's first coming. But the, so Passover is about freedom from bondage, freedom from slavery. That's what Passover is about. It's freedom from slavery um, through the blood of a lamb, of a spotless lamb. That, like the original Passover was about the people of Israel. They could not help themselves. They were they were slaves. They were in bondage. And uh, the blood of the lamb was put on the doorpost. And whoever had the blood of the lamb was basically spared, was passed over. Death passed over them. <clears throat> and then subsequently, they were led out of bondage in Egypt to the promised land. Yom Kippur. And that was the, and that was the, that was the plague that... Uh, really tip the scale for the pharaoh right you know, oh absolutely his yeah, so, actually die so that makes yeah. a lot of sense because um i was going to push back a little bit where i'm like well um wouldn't it more so point to um god's wrath passing over um but the whole purpose of that happening at least historically was that israel will be freed um because that's yeah. that's what happened you know that's that's what that was the uh the nail in the coffin um for pharaoh to actually move um, into God's will, in a sense. Not that yeah. all of it wasn't God's will, but um, it was the one that actually tipped the scale for him. And, 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 and God's wrath, no, you're right, though. God's wrath came in the form of death upon the firstborn. Like, like the, the expression of his wrath was death on the firstborn. So in essence, the blood of the lamb meant that God's wrath and death would pass over that home. But, <laughs> excuse me, but the goal was, I mean, the goal from the beginning of the plague was let my people go you know right. the goal the focus was um god showing his hand that he is mighty to save that he's powerful to save you know even from slavery from like the the world superpower at that time which was egypt um and god did it <coughs> excuse me i don't have the rona i promise i don't know rona here <laughs> but yeah so, so you're creeping up bro yeah right i hope not <laughs> God forbid. Uh, so, so then yom kippur is the Day of Atonement, and that is more about national atonement being made for sin on a national level for Israel. And I believe Scripture points to how that would be fulfilled as well. Um, but yeah, so I believe Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement when sins are atoned for. Now, in one sense, the there's an atoning aspect to the Passover because that lamb almost became a substitute for the firstborn in that home. When that lamb was slain and his blood was put on the door, it was a sign mm -hmm. that a substitute had died in the place. In a sense, you could say that, in the place of that firstborn. The Day of Atonement was about the a, a, a lamb, right, <coughs> um, being slain 
and there's actually a story in the biblical story there's two there's two lamb uh or or and there's this well there's really a scapegoat the scapegoat and, yeah right um but without getting too much into that and that's still kind of mysterious the one that was led out into the de- desert to azazel that's still a little mysterious and scholars debate exactly what that means but that was about national atonement from sin not necessarily freedom from bondage to anything in particular or anyone in particular but it was about national atonement for sin so the spring feast i hope i'm not jumping ahead but it begins with passover the jewish religious calendar begins with passover um passover is the first feast the first holiday followed by and actually the next day followed by uh, unleavened bread and then there's it's basically a seven seven day long feast or, or observant um passover and then after that, um, you have the uh, Feast of Bikurim, which is the first, I'm sorry, Passover, technically eight days. But, but so after the, so the first day of the week after Passover, you have Bikurim, which is first fruits. So that would come on the Sunday after Passover. And then 50 days from Passover, you have uh, the Feast of uh, Shavuot. And that is, Shavuot is basically, it's known as Pentecost, and that is commemorating or remembering the giving of the Torah, the law at Mount Sinai. And that, But that's a convocation. It's a time when the people of Israel had come together. Matter of fact, when we read in the New Testament that all the Jews had come to Jerusalem to, to observe um, the uh, Pentecost, to observe Shavuot um, during that time. So it's a very important feast. So it starts with Passover, unleavened bread, <coughs> kind of one festival in a sense they become homogenized then bikurim or first fruits and then shavuot those are the four feasts of the springtime then you have the long summer months the dry season no appointed times no holidays and it resumes in the fall with the feast of trumpets or yom teruah as it's called in scripture what you said is your favorite that's one of my favorites yeah so yom teruah literally means day of noise day of shouting day of it, it, the Feast of Trumpets is what we call it, but on that day, it's the day of loud shouts, of loud shouting. It's and a the celebration. Day, it's a celebration and the blowing of the shofar, the blowing of trumpets. Um, and then after that, followed uh, by uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then the, it ends at the end of the year. It ends with uh, at the toward the end of fall with the uh, Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the final right. The final, the final and, holiday. And, so there's seven total. And and you would agree that all of these festivals as well, you know, look forward, you know, um, um, to Christ as well, right? As far as being the fulfillment of these things in different ways. Um, you know, when we think about uh, Yom Kippur, or how do you say Yom? Yeah, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know that that the atoning blood of Christ is greater um, than that of the Lamb. Um, because like you said it's national um, atonement right for for Israel um, but it never took away their sins right it just it just covered their sin um, and it will be a reminder also that they'll be doing this again next year <laughs> and also throughout yeah. the year right to, to yeah. continue to cleanse themselves um, but it, it was never taken away um, until Christ steps on the scene right yes yeah so so not only did Jesus fulfill them and we had a conversation about this before the beautiful thing is when you read the new testament you find that jesus did, didn't just fulfill them in principle or in theory the spring feast right. the first four he fulfilled on the literal day 
and he fulfilled them in consecutive order. So we don't just say Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover because he died on the cross. No, we say Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover because he died on the cross on Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread. He rose on first fruits, and then he gave the Holy Spirit on Pentecost or Shavuot. Really, I think um, solidifies just the brilliance of God and the meticulous nature of His plan. You know, in redemptive history, it wasn't. You know, we the the, the parallels we draw, the lines we draw between. You know, these prophetic events, uh, or these prophecies in Scripture, these feasts, these festivals that God gave Israel and Jesus are not arbitrary or spurious. They're very much connected. Again, the exact day down to the hour, um, Jesus fulfilled them. And I, I, I think it would be fair to assume that if you fulfilled the spring feast, uh, you know, in, in this order, Passover, um, first fruits, and, and uh, you know, um, Shavuot or Pentecost, if he did that, with the spring feast, I think it's fair to say that I believe, and I would argue, that since he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he will also fulfill the fall feast in consecutive order on the day. And exactly how that looks or what that means, I don't, I don't, I can't say with with certainty because you know prophecy is is always clearer in hindsight. But I can tell you that I believe he will fulfill the the, the fall feast. And I have an idea as to how that would be done. That's a whole other, another discussion, unless you have a little bit of time. But <laughs> yeah, um, I, mean, I do. Uh, I and that, that gets into issues do. of eschatology. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that gets into areas of eschatology, and, and there's a lot of debate about that. But, right. you know, the, the next uh, feast on the calendar is, uh, you know, the Feast of Trumpets. And it actually, in, in Hebrew, it's called Yom Teruah, uh, uh, or it's also known in English as, or in Hebrew as Rosh Hashanah. The, the head of the year, the head of the agricultural year. Um, but yeah, Yom Teruah um, is basically in Hebrew, it literally means the day of, of, of shouting, the day of noise, the day of trumpets. And it's interesting. Um, what is that scripture? The dead and Messiah will rise. It's in Corinthians. Uh, here we go. In the twinkling of my, yeah, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 52 talks about an event that will happen in the future. It says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, and perishable we will be cha- changed. Mm-hmm. There's a parallel passage where it says that he will descend with the shout of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. And I think that that shouting and trumpets are mentioned both in that passage um, seems to indicate, because on Yom Teruah, on Rosh Hashanah, it's the day of trumpets and it's the day of shouting. That's what the, that's what typifies and identifies though that, that holiday. It's, you know... The, the sounding of the blasting of the shofar, of the trumpet, and then the, the shout, the loud shout. So I believe that will will, will coincide. And again, my, my eschatology may be very different than others. Um, I do believe that the eschatological view I've taken also take can, can make a good account for how the fall feast will be fulfilled. Um, I, I think some of the other uh, options have a harder time, um, you know, uh, showing how they'll be fulfilled literally, like the first coming fulfilled the spring feast literally. Uh, so, so that's I think a strong argument for my position. I'm a premillennialist, so I believe uh, that we have not seen the millennial kingdom, and you know, you may differ. That's fine. Um, and I, I also happen to be, and I, I believe, and I think Scripture teaches that there will be an event. The question is, when will it happen? Will it happen at the beginning of a tribulation, the middle of a tribulation, the end of a tribulation, or at the end of you know? People, there's various arguments. Um, but the, I think Scripture is clear that there will be a catching up at some point. People call it the rapture from the Greek, uh, yeah, from the Latin, rather, raptura. I think it's raptural. Um, uh, but this idea of harpazo, this idea of being caught away 
again, uh, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We will be caught up in the air to meet him. Um, so I believe that that coincides with the Feast of Trumpets. Um, I believe that Yom Kippur, which was the national kind of uh, atone, day of atonement for Israel, coincides with Zechariah 12.10 and the preceding verses that follow. And uh, when Israel looks upon him whom they pierce, I believe there will be after much calamity. And I think Hosea also points to this in Hosea 5, at the end of Hosea 5, up until Hosea 6, chapter uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, that, there, that Israel uh, is under judgment right now, but there will be a day, I believe, according to Scripture, when uh, after much turmoil, much persecution, much hardship, they will look to Messiah, and, and there will be a national repentance. I believe that that will be uh, fulfilled at Yom Kippur. And I personally have a view on the fulfillment of tabernacles that I think no one else shares, because <laughs> I've brought it up to various Bible scholars. Um, but I think it's interesting, and I'll make this quick. I know I'm rambling a bit. I think it's interesting that when you read Zechariah 14 about the the future kingdom, like this earthly, this concept of an earthly kingdom in which peace will rule, men will be under God's theocracy. I believe it's this. I believe that this period that Zechariah is talking about is synonymous with the millennial kingdom in Revelation. Um, but the idea of this this age of peace in which God rules, it makes an interesting statement. It says that the nations will come up year after year to worship the king and that they will keep the Feast of, of uh, Tabernacles, which is the final and seventh feast right. of, the, of the Feast of the Lord. And what some people believe is that the fulfillment of that will be the Millennial Kingdom. I think, I don't believe so. I think in some sense it'll be the fulfillment, but I always wondered why is it that it's the only feast mentioned during the millennial kingdom that it's incumbent for all of humanity to keep and the reason i believe that it's incumbent upon all humanity to keep this feast is because um it's the only feast that will be awaiting fulfillment you know what i mean yeah. so well let me let me jump in quick um, two, two things i'm a yeah. i'm a decree millennial <laughs> have yeah. you ever, ever, ever oh, okay. heard of that before no i haven't <laughs> i just made it up <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> Whenever God decrees, right? Uh, whatever He decreed, that's what yeah. is going to happen and how it's going to unfold. That's actually an area where Amen. I've studied the least, and um, I actually do want to uh, dig into that a lot. Um, but it's cool that you brought that up because I have, I have some friends who are Hebrew Israelites, and uh, one of the arguments for following the feast and the law um, as laid out in the Old Covenant um, is the fact that in the millennial during the millennial reign of christ some of these feast festivals and stuff like that is going to be followed um i think one of them was the yeah. the festival of booths um and then there's there's like uh, uh penal penalties for people who don't follow them um and so they will yeah. point to it well why why does that happen then um but you suppose you don't have to follow that now <laughs> but you'll be following it when christ yeah. is reigning yeah um so they will point to that as a reason to say we're supposed to be following the law and all of these things just as uh as if the old covenant was still um enacted um as if the new covenant yeah, so doesn't come and uh kind of make the old obsolete obviously to an extent i mean you know that's the whole point of this conversation is to show why yeah. these things are important um, but in light yeah. of the new covenant, these things um, don't take on necessarily a new meaning, but we actually get to see what these things were pointing to the whole time. We're pointing to exactly. Right. And that's and I think one of the so booths is another way of saying tabernacles. It's the final the final feast. So some translations will call it the, the feast of booths, because when the children of Israel were in 
the wilderness and they were keeping these the, these festivals, um, they were building little booths or, you know, like basically dwelling places. Um, and even to this day, Jewish homes at this feast, uh, especially observant Jewish homes, or if you go to Israel, you'll see backyards where people build little, they call them Sukkot. Uh, little sukkahs, sukkahs. With, uh, they're like you know little yeah sukkah and so that's actually it's called sukkot in hebrew uh the feast of sukkot or booths uh tabernacles little dwelling places right um but 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 i would think i would say the difference from the from the so-called hebrew israelite perspective their focus is on the actual statutes commandments laws and on these these observances their, their focus is on the 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 the, the letter of the law and and the cultural what they believe is the cultural application in their lives for their ethnic identity you know what i'm right. saying but from the biblical standpoint when we look at how it lays out with the, in the life of jesus with his first coming and everything from our perspective no it's that's not even the thing that's not the thing that's just it's, it's a shadow of things right so I, I think it's clear that um it, it's not it doesn't point to jewishness it doesn't point matter by the way these feasts are never called israel's feasts in scripture they're called the feast of the lord these are appointed times that God gave Israel specifically for his glory to communicate his message to them and for them to remember and not just to remember what he did, but also look forward to what he would do and through the Messiah. That's a good point. But but it's not for the, yeah, it's not just for the sake of ethnically identifying with Israel or being a Jew or a non-Jew, because even a stranger within the camp of Israel kept his feet. The point of this is looking ahead to realizing that all of scripture, including the Tanakh, the Torah, it's all pointing ahead to the Messiah. It's all about Him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about them or these people. It's not about an ethnic identity or you know racial concept. It's all about there's one person in this whole world that the entirety of Scripture and human history revolves around, and it's Yeshua, Jesus. Right. He's the main character. We just get to have little supporting roles in His story. It's His story Is that, of redemption. Yeah, I agree. Right? Yeah. Yeah, man. And, and so, one of my pushbacks um, when they would bring that up would always be, you know, if we're supposed to be doing these things now, um, because that's how it used to be. And that's how it's supposed, you know, from their perspective, at least that's what it's going to look like during the millennial reign of Christ. Um, and then we yeah. have to fill in this gap now of saying um, from their perspective, we should still be doing it. Um, I always ask, well, when's the last time you sacrificed a lamb? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, is it like yeah? And I, I do believe no, absolutely. And and I see, and I do believe based on scripture because I do take this passage from Zechariah literally. Like I don't see anything in the passage that would lead me to take it allegorically. I do take this passage literally, and I think there's enough scriptures about this period of time that John kind of clarifies as the Millennial Kingdom. Um, there's nothing about it to be you know to not be taken seriously. But I think it's on God. I think it's on the Lord to restore his calendar for his glory during the millennial kingdom to serve a purpose. It's not up to me to make Christians and believers, you know, from various denominations, keep the feasts or observe the, the biblical calendar. It will be the Lord will restore it. And, and, and that's, I mean, the fact of the matter is, man, um, when you look at what God is searching for in the hearts of men, you know, through his spirit, through his sovereign work, it is faith and his son right absolutely and jesus yeah. is the embodiment of all of the promises and jesus is the embodiment of all the feasts like it's all pointing to him so those who are in him whether they keep sukkot or not whether they keep passover or not he is the Passover. right he is our passover exactly right yeah. so in his timing the lord will for his purposes i believe scripture teaches he will reinstate that calendar mm -hmm. 
to point again to his son, not to point to the nation Israel, not to point to a piece of land, but to point to his son. So, right. And if we, you know, unfortunately, and if we've been saved by the grace of God through faith, right, that I believe our gift is also a gift of God as well. Um, If we've been saved in this way and God has created works for us to walk in. So even our sanctification is a gift from him as we walk in the gifts through the spirit of God that he has laid out for us to walk in. Um, So if some of these things are things that ultimately we should be doing or will be doing at some point. Right. If we're truly a believer and these are works that God has created for us to walk in. Um, we'll walk right in it, wouldn't we? Right? That's that's something Absolutely. that will happen. But ultimately, yeah. for the believer, whether that's a Messianic Jew, right, or that's a Christian, yeah. whoever's trusting in Christ by grace and through faith, right? Um, we yeah. we're not our, our focus is is not on looking to those things as if it's saving us or as if it's making us yeah. um, you know, have a certain standard in the eyes of God, or as if we're meeting a certain standard, right? We're not we're not doing these things in order to be accepted by God or us not doing this thing these things as believers, we won't be rejected by God, right? Um what, what he has said yeah, will right. be done. Um, he will bring to completion the work that he's begun in us. Um, and so that's what where our faith is, right? Now, these other things are great, right? They're good things. They definitely show us how God has worked throughout history. And I think it would be good for even believers um, to kind of look at these things deeper than we might look at them now. Um, a lot of times I look at them as yeah, simply and- a type and a shadow. Um, but I don't think it would be a bad thing for believers to actually observe these things on some level, um, whether it's the same exact oh, way brother, as a Messianic would... Jew or whether it's just yeah. taking the time with our families and like looking through the scripture mm-hmm. and just praying um, and thanking God for what he has done. And also praying that God will reach um, the Jewish community that has rejected him and is still waiting for a Messiah. Um, that's why I think it's dope what you said earlier as far as, um, you know, why it's important to, that there is a Messianic Jewish uh, uh, tradition or group. I'm not sure how exactly uh, to, to, to phrase it, but the importance of actually seeing that there are Jewish people who believes that Jesus is the Messiah and are reaching other Jews and either people, even people who are not. Amen. Yeah, that, that, that identity, I think, to have people and, you know, with that identity is a big is a big is a big uh, statement and, and and real quick so before i get to how i believe uh sukkot or tabernacles booths will be fulfilled i just want to kind of derail that uh, that thought a little bit my bad <laughs> oh no 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 oh no you're good you're good um no brother uh, i i just I, so and again this is just my view this is just, so let me just address this while it's on my mind this is my view i believe you know, when you read Zechariah 14, it talks about that the, the, the festival of booths or tabernacles being being uh, observed. That, that you know, na- it will be incumbent upon nations to observe it. And and I think the reason it, it's it's singled out is because the fulfillment of that feast is still a, it's still awaiting fulfillment. It has not been fulfilled like the other six feasts that up to that point will have been fulfilled. We'll still be awaiting that final feast. And what happens at the end of the thousand years? It says that the new heavens and new earth, right? And what does it say? And when you return to Revelation 21, verse 3, as the new Jerusalem, which interestingly, when you see, even when you see paintings of it, right, like artist depictions of new Jerusalem, it's a perfect square because that's the dimensions given. And a booth or tabernacle is also like a square. If you look at the Sukkot, the Sukkah that are built, there are squares. And, and but the angel's declaration in Revelation 3, uh, 12, 21, verse 3 is quite telling. He says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be will be their God. He will wipe away 
every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. And I think that that declaration, the tabernacle of God is now with men, when the, at the summation of everything in human history of the redemptive story, when that new Jerusalem comes down, it is the holy tabernacle. It is God. His actual presence, right, will be over the entire earth in this heavenly dwelling, this heavenly sukkah. And I believe that will be the fulfillment. That will be when every feast, everything written in the law and the prophets will have been fulfilled. Um, but as far and as far as the fulfillment uh, or the observance for Christians. I mean, yeah, it's it's not a, definitely not a salvific issue. Um, you're saved by grace through faith. But I think, again, not just from a historical perspective of what God did through Israel and what Jesus did uh, in the Spring Feast. I also think for a prophetic witness, it is it, it kind of lights the way in many ways as to what God's plan is. And you can line it up with what, what the New Testament says about, and the Old Testament as well, about the age to come and the last days and how that will unfold. And I think it gives a lot of clarity. And I think the reason a lot of the eschatology is what it is, what I would consider faulty, is because they lack an understanding of first century Jewish concepts of, of the end times and the last days. I mean, even the millennium, that's a whole other discussion. But I think, you know, people are always surprised when I tell them that John wasn't the first person to talk about a thousand year reign of God on the earth, that this was a common belief, um, that there would be six millennia in human history and then a, followed by a final seventh millennium in which God or the Messiah would reign over the earth and all of creation would be subdued under his feet. Um, so John was writing in that background. So, you know, and I don't think he borrowed language. I just think that these men looked at scripture. They looked at, uh, you know, various passages, uh, including even Genesis, the creation week, and they saw a pattern that God had laid out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's, that's it, man. I'll go on forever. But yeah, these, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to, you know, take up too much more of your time, but I just have two more questions for you real quick, if you don't mind. <laughs> um, sure. So, you know, growing up as a Messianic Jew, I'm sure there was a heavy emphasis on Christ because, um, you know, you guys recognize him as the Messiah. Um, um, so were you taught these things and these different connections while you were growing up? Or is this something that you kind of um, come to understand or realize as you studied the scripture? Yeah, it was I, it was it was a little bit of both, but I'll say the majority of it was taught when I was growing up. Nice. Um, yeah, my my parents, man, they instilled the Lord in us big time. My dad, um, just you know, because him being a man, and my my mom was home more with us, and she really instilled the fear of the Lord, the you know, scripture. She instilled that man constantly, and she lived it, so we knew it was like real. My dad though uh you know was more you know obviously more stern uh delivery you know what i mean or expression of <laughs> that, that. but but yeah i remember having oh absolutely which is a great thing it's that balance but i remember uh discussions about uh with my dad as a kid like about old testament prophecy new testament fulfillment same with my mom but and then also we have leaders in the congregation growing up um various men who man like yeah they would unpack this stuff as a kid i was blown away i was so fascinated by this idea of that predictive prophecy you know and that, that like jesus birthplace was predicted his, his the, the virgin birth was predicted his death the kind of death he would die was predicted um isaiah 53 is probably the most amazing piece of literature and not just for its words but for the way it accurately lays out the life of Jesus, right. you know, yep. what, 800, 800, 700 years before the event. It's just, it's mind boggling. Yep. So, um, you know, these are things I learned mainly when I was young. And then I guess because of that background, when I got older, I started just, I, I, I don't know, man, I was like eating. I would literally drive around in my car and listen to debates between rabbis and 
Messianic Jewish scholars. <laughs> like, I had I some it. of them memorized. I listened to them so many times. You, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, if certain apologists, yep. you just like, you can't get enough. I would read I don't books. I know if there's a James know, White by, debate uh, I haven't seen. I, I look every once in a uh, while to keep digging. I, I think I've pretty much watched them all. <laughs> yeah, man. James White is a, is a beast, bro. Yeah. And yeah, like, so like stuff like that, man. Um, and just like, I was so appreciative that this wealth of, I mean, we live in a really cool time, man. You know, there, there, a lot of this groundwork was laid beforehand with theologians in the past, but the fact that we have access to sort of, like in today's theologians have all that material to pull from. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Generations and generations of material, and they've perfected the, like the, 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 the ability to like <clears throat> convey this vast mountain of evidence, and, and that we have internet, and all this stuff just makes it so much more accessible. Right. So it's really, really dope, man. Yeah. I like what Dr. Vince Bantu is doing right now also as far as like digging into uh, the Ethiopian Ethiopian, uh, church um, and they have a bunch of works that haven't been translated yet. And so he's working to do that now. Um, And so. Oh, man, that is. I'll tell you, like I know the Ethiopian, the Coptic Ethiopian church, you know, mm -hmm. over the years and over over time had some, you know, some Catholic influence. Right. Kind of kind of came in and i don't know at what point that but i'll tell you this in terms of of terms of age outside of the jerusalem church uh-huh. you know the jerusalem church that was that was you know uh overseen by peter and james or or uh, or you know uh jacob james whatever uh outside of that congregation that that existed in the first century i mean and maybe the Ar- the armenian church is probably mm-hmm. neck and neck with ethiopia yep. in terms of age but man, like we, some of the oldest uh, extant manuscripts and artwork that the church has comes from the Ethiopian yep. church, and I've I've always been fascinated just with the beauty of their culture. Man, church and, history, man, is um, so dope. It's one of my favorite oh, subjects. Beautiful. I mean, I, I can't wait yeah, and, until, and, and, until these works are brought forth just to see, you know, what we find in them. I'm sure there's there's going to be issues that we might find, <laughs> you know, disagreements. Yeah. Um, but just to see, you know, how God has has moved through all these different type of people groups, you know, since Christianity began, you know, since Christ came. I um, mean, even before that, you know, obviously we know that, you know, there yeah. were peoples that were able to be grafted in. So it's always been a universal thing as far as um, God desiring to save other people outside of just the nation of Israel. Um, yeah, man. But yeah, it's, it's pretty dope. man. Brother, go, go ahead. That link, that that specific that person, if you could send me information on that, because I would actually like to stay uh, up to date oh, on yeah. that as well. That sounds mad interesting, yep. bro, bro. And I, I got to say, like, sometimes the stuff that we assume, oh, well, that doesn't fit our theological paradigm. I'm not saying we should be uh, subjective about it. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. you know, we should stand firm on our convictions. But some, those old school believers, man, they were close to the time of the disciples. Some of their... You know, and that's one of the reasons I'm a premillennialist, man. Like, they weren't wrong about everything. You know what I'm saying? I mean, um, the good thing now, that, like you said, we're in a good place now because, you know, we have more yeah. information to pull from where we can kind of, yeah. you know, kind of look at a timeline of things and we can see connections, you know, where we can, yeah. you know, and then we'll also see things that, that should challenge us. Um, I don't think yeah. our generation, even having all the information we have, we can't have this pride, this kind of pride that thinks that you know we kind of look back at everyone else as if they were dumb <laughs> you know yeah now there's yeah, there's crazy ideas throughout all history so there's crazy things that they True. believed in and some stuff that um people believe now um but as far as like from the historical piece and you know i, I think it'd just be cool to have those things i mean there's no reason why we yeah, shouldn't have yeah. them already um but it's cool that yeah. you know that's a passion of his um, to actually bring those works um, to light, you know, for for the average person to, to make it accessible, 
Um, you know, we know about so many different people, yet we don't know about, you know, some of these leaders in the early, you know, Coptic uh, church or, you know, yeah, Ethiopian man, or Armenian and, movement. I don't want to say movement, yeah. but the church and during that time. Um, so I just have um, one last question, if that's cool. Yeah. So, you know, this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, this is an apologetics podcast, you know, more so focused on the deity yeah. of Christ. Um, so for my final question, are you ready for this? <laughs> Um, what's your favorite scripture or your favorite argument um it could be either one uh for the the deity of christ so when you're talking to someone who would reject jesus as god um i I would ask you if you're talking to a jewish person um i think that would be cool but well i can ask you that still so other than uh isaiah uh 53 right what would be another great argument you know that might be one of your favorites that you would present to them to actually show them that jesus is not only the messiah but he is god also wow man i mean i would point to isaiah 9 6 i would point to uh you know unto us a child is born the titles given to that child are not anything you could rightfully call right a man i would point to the the daniel 9 you know uh is it daniel 9 or 7 the son of seven man. i believe um yeah, Daniel seven. Coming yeah. with the clouds, uh, the right? Son of man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, coming with the clouds of heaven. You have this, this, this Ben Adam. This, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, that, that's Daniel seven, uh, seven thirteen, and um, yeah, this, this vision of man, this this son of man, um, this hu- literally in, hum- in Hebrew, that word, that phrase is used to just mean human. It's generic for human, Ben Adam. And uh, he's seated with God and he receives worship, you know, the kind of worship that you give deity um, and that God approves of this. And then he's brought up into God's very essence, into God's presence and is, is seated on the throne with him. It's just there's no I mean, there's no other way to to explain that. Um, you have to get really fanciful to explain that away. Mm-hmm. And then, man, you know, one of my favorites, honestly, one of the things that first got me on this path to sort of arguing for the deity of, of the Messiah and from the, from the Old Testament. And we made an album about it back in the day, was, was the, theoph- the accounts of the theophanies in the Old Testament. Um, and uh, to me, that just kind of breaks down the resistance that a lot of people have, especially Jewish people, to the idea that God can become a man, that God can become, can even be seen. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, you have all these accounts in the Old Testament where God becomes a man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's it's... Uh, Genesis 18, Exodus 3, he, he's seen it as the angel of the Lord, the Malach. Oh, man, I can't Elohim. wait to do that episode, man. I'm already planning it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, dope. Yeah, yeah, the Malach, Elohim. And, 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 and the Bible even says, so this Malach, this angel, this messenger is in the midst of the bush. When you read that, when you read Exodus 3 and you just read it through, mm-hmm. a few things strike you. It's an angel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's visible because it says Moses hid his face and he was afraid to look at God. So this is a, an angel who is visible and he is also equated with God right because uh angel it actually says in the Torah he hit his face because he was afraid to look at God at Yahweh and then fourthly um the angel speaks in the place of God and then when God in the wilderness wandering God tells Israel to listen to his angel obey his messenger because his name is in him mm-hmm. so you know and then Jesus associates himself with this angel yep. when he talks when he has that whole dialogue with the rabbis about Abraham rejoiced to see my yes. day. Um, first off, that right there, I think he's talking about Genesis 18, when, when God appeared to Abraham yes. <laughs> with two angels. But before and the, he said, the when Abraham of Sodom saw, and Gomorrah. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, Genesis 18. Uh, and I mean, that's that's a whole, man, that's crazy. That passage, that and chapter 19, just the, the ramifications mm-hmm. of that theologically uh, is, are amazing. 
So I think so. Abraham's basically saying, yeah, like when I appeared to Abraham, when Abraham saw me, he was happy, mm -hmm. you know, and he didn't want to kill me like you're trying to kill me. Uh, so that's that's that's. And then he says, before Abraham was, I am, boy, me, and that's uh, basically derived from what the angel says to to Moses in the bush. Bruh, it's um, crazy, right? <laughs> that I am, that I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that, I, yeah. And they picked up stones to to kill him. Stone him because he was making himself out to be God. So they knew exactly what he was saying. Yep. There's no ambiguity about it. Jesus claimed to be God, and the Old Testament sets us up for that reality. Absolutely. Like, it shouldn't have been a shock. Right. It shouldn't have been a shock if people were expecting the Messiah to come the way the Old Testament predicted that he that the Messiah would come. Yeah. And if if the listeners want a hint, um, when you read uh John's gospel and he says in the beginning was the word, um, go ahead and search for the targums and see how they translated um yeah. the angel of the lord um and see how they translated that i'm not even gonna give that away now because man that's i, I can't wait to get to that episode bro um I'm, I'm, i get super excited yeah. about this stuff man oh absolutely bro and not only yeah not only how the targums translated the angel of the lord mm -hmm. but also how the targums translated god himself mm. they would often put that the, that memra the memra <laughs> of, of god that word that the word so and, and and you find this in scripture, even in our you know the regular you know translations that we have, um, and in the original Hebrew that it talks about God's word sent on divine tasks, God's word. Even in Genesis one, that God created the universe through His word. He spoke, mm, and it was yeah, and it was so. And then you have the Spirit. You have the whole Trinity right there in Genesis one. It's a beautiful thing. Bro. Well, let's let's get you it's on beautiful. record right now. Yeah, um, <laughs> would you would you join me on that episode to kind of dig into that, brother? I I would love to, and I will say this, man. I know, I know, we, we've, we've, you, you had to wrestle me down just to get, you know, like, to get this. <laughs> I, 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 life has been crazy on a personal note. Really, really, one thing after another. Just both personal and, and professional life has been really crazy. But brother, I would love to, and I will try my hardest to make that happen. So yeah, let's stay in touch for sure. And I would love to do that. That's one of my favorite. That's probably my favorite topic right there. Man. Well, I appreciate so it. To. I appreciate you making time. I know it's not easy when you have a family tons of other things going on this whole virus thing you know whole the whole world is crazy right now um so just yeah, the fact yeah, that you know that you've made time you know i really appreciate it that speaks a lot um why don't you just take the last uh, couple moments and just let people know where they can find you what you might have going on how they can hear your music um or even if they wanted to reach out to you um if someone else might want to interview you um on their podcast yeah so if you want to reach me um the best way to reach me would be to through email or on social media. Um, so Twitter, Hazakim, H-A-Z-A-K-I-M, is in Mary, Hazakim. Uh, same with Instagram. Uh, Facebook's a little funky. We have like kind of a, a personal page, but we also have an old ministry page we haven't really updated, but you can find us just by typing Hazakim on Facebook, H-A-Z-A-K-I-M. Um, and email would be a good way. So righthandproductions at gmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-E. H A N D right hand productions with, a, with an S plural at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out. But yeah, like, and if you go on YouTube and you type in Hazakim, H A Z A K I M, look us up on YouTube. We've got tons of music videos and just our music over the years that we've uploaded. And yeah, we're working on some new stuff, man. Like, uh, some old but new stuff is kind of, you know, I don't want to get too much into working with a really cool ministry. Lord willing, this will all come together. A really powerful, large, influential ministry on some stuff. Uh, some new music and releasing some stuff with this kind of partnership with this ministry. So hopefully that'll 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 happen uh, soon. 
And uh, yeah, man, it's been a pleasure, brother uh, EC, you know, to, to join you for this topic, man. Well, I appreciate it, man. We look forward to uh, supporting you with, with the stuff that you guys put out. And um, I'll be continuing to listen to uh, politics uh, and religion, right? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, su- super yeah. dope, man. Good stuff on there, man. Thanks again for joining me, bro. Brother, it's been a pleasure, man. God bless you, brother. That was Tony from Hazakim. Make sure you go ahead and check him out. Um, again, even though Christians don't necessarily celebrate these festivals, which are referred to as the shadows, and I have no problem with anyone who celebrates them, I do have a problem when people say we aren't following the law because we don't celebrate them in the same way. The Christian and the Messianic Jew both recognize the fact that Jesus is the substance of all of these things. In fact, he is the substance of scripture itself. As he points us to and reconciles us to the father and so as we come to know in greater detail who jesus is we are truly celebrating these festivals as we worship jesus our passover lamb jesus the bread of life jesus the first fruits jesus the feast of weeks also known as pentecost we celebrate him for sending the holy spirit jesus the feast of trumpets right as we look forward to the trumpet sound the day when all who are in christ will be raised by christ into glory jesus our atonement and jesus yahweh who tabernacled with us what is brought out of the shadows is the reality that jesus is the content of scripture our reference point to god and his nature and the substance and means of a relationship with god as sons and daughter and my hope is that jesus no longer lives in the shadows of your theology and worship again make sure you pick up the book by todd frail Jesus Unmasked. This concludes episode five, the main topic, Out of the Shadows. Thank you for listening to that deity, though. Wisdom and knowledge revealed.